From one islander to another, Isle of Wight Radio proudly presents John Hannam Meets. Hi and welcome to another John Hannah Meets Archive. Today we're going to celebrate the life of a great comedian, Bobby Ball, who died in late October 2020. During my life I was lucky enough to interview Cannon and Ball on three occasions and today we're returning to the year 2000 when I met them at the Norton Grange Holiday Centre on the Isle of Wight. Another Hannam Archive. Welcome back to John Hannam Meets. Hello, Thank John. You. How are you? Hey, nice John. to see you again. Now, the reason I've come to see you again is because your fantastic book. All right, you enjoy it. Now, what I like about it, it's very honest. Because <laughs> you've had a, a rough life sometimes, well, you two, and it's all in the book, isn't it? Mm. Well, the only reason we really wrote the book is because there's a lot of rumours flew about me and Tommy all through the years. <laughs> so we thought, well, we'll put the rumours right. And that's what we wrote the book for, being very honest about what's happened to us in our life. I found out a few things about you, Bobby Balls. Well, you, you were a bit of a toughie, weren't you, early nah. on? Yes, you were. A weren't you? A, a bit of a snapper. Not a toughie, snapper. <laughs> a bit of a temper. You were, were you? Yeah, when I was younger. Yeah. <laughs> Someone I, at the door. Yeah, not looking for you, door. is he? <laughs> yes, I was a bit... Uh, Fiery, were you or not? Fiery, that's the word. Fiery. Yeah, yeah. Tommy, you had a, a bit of a tough childhood because your dad walked out, didn't he, really? Yeah, well, yeah, I suppose so, yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, um, I suppose it's strange uh, being brought up like I was because I had a, a great man, but um, a strange father, you know. One day loved me, next day he didn't love me, and then suddenly gone, and then he came back, and then he left again. And So I think more of my mum than me. Um, I was about five or six, so... Um, I thought to myself, well, as long as I've got my mum, I'll be all right, you know. So, yeah, a bit of a up and down sort of childhood. And then I got a stepfather, of course, and suddenly I was inundated with another four children, which I'd never met in my life. You weren't too keen on that, were you? Well, four children, another, another, four children, another 26 cousins. Oh, <laughs> unbelievable. And so, of course, uh, yeah, and then, um, and of course, we, we didn't hit it off and we never hit it off, but... Um, um, just one of those things, I was the outsider, they were his own blood children and I was the outsider, so things were, things were difficult, yeah. Were you very upset when the army didn't want you really, did yes, they? Yes, totally, yeah, totally, completely blew my mind away, yeah. Um, I mean, I suppose it's like everything, I think it's, there's a path that the Lord puts you on and I think... Uh, who knows if I'd have gone in the forces and I'd have liked it that much who knows I might have gone on for a long term never met Bob so God puts you on a path that you know and uh, no I didn't get in the forces I was can I, I ask him a question there John myself I've just thought of this yeah, myself, go on, then. and I never thought of it when we were doing the book I should have asked this <laughs> go on then did you want to go in army because your dad were a sergeant major do you think no, I don't think so. I may, it might have been. I don't know. I mean, my, my real father was regimental sergeant major, heavyweight boxing champion of his unit. He was a bit of a hard nut, my dad. Um, and I don't know whether I did. I mean, I tried I tried every everything. I tried the Navy, I tried the Air Force, I tried the Army, all the lot. Mind you got in the Salvation Army. Well, I could have done that, I. <laughs> Bobby, you used to sing with your sister Mavis. Oh, Mavis. 
But before then, when you were about 12, yeah. you had an offer to go to London, didn't you? I did, I. Uh, well, I was younger than that, I think. Were you? 10, perhaps, were you? Something like that, I forget now. But it's in the book anyway. And uh, we, in them days, up the north, they used to have the little communities. And they used to... Um, the mothers and fathers used to go to the Labour Club or the Conservative Club at nights, weekend. And they used to take the children. Of course, I used to get up singing in the in the working men's club. And a guy were in and said to me, Father, I want to take him to London. And he was the only one that was in had a car, which were amazing. And uh, my dad said, oh, nobody takes my children, you know, smoking his pipe. Who are you and all that? <laughs> he said, I've got a record for him to do. And <laughs> um, he does, well, nobody takes my children. So the guy said to me, Father, well, here he said, get him some singing lessons because he's really good. And he gave him the old blue fivers. Do you remember them huge yeah. five pound notes? Which in them days were like two weeks' wages, I think. My, my mother took the money and got us all close. The record was he's got the whole world in his hands. And Laurie London recorded Yes, he did. Yeah, so. I'm glad though, mind you, I didn't go, but you know, just one of them things. Really. Yeah. <laughs> I know you had sort of different jobs, but there's one story which really took with me in the book was when you were working on a church and, and you were worried about a ghost. They set you up really, didn't oh, they? Oh, totally. The guys are working with the could have a great imagination. And uh, we're working the belfry and they have these stone steps that, that go up into the belfry. And the guy said, I'm just going to go back to the yard to get some concrete. Uh, just wait here. He said, but there's ghosts here. And I said, oh, give up. He said, I'm telling you, they come up the stairs and down the stairs. <laughs> and uh, I'm sat there. And suddenly I saw a shadow come up the stairs. I thought, oh, what's that? And then the shadow go down the stairs. And of course, my imagination's taking control. And then I see this shadow coming up, like, this old hunchback shadow. And I really panicked and I got a piece of three by two wood. And uh, <laughs> when the shadow came around the corner, I hit it. <laughs> and of course, it was the guy I'm working with who were taking the mickey. And ate him with a 3 by 2 And I said to him, what are the shadows then? And he said, that the car's going up and down the road. <laughs> that worked it out. <laughs> Tommy, you two met at work, didn't you? So, um, yeah. what was he like when you first met him? You hit it off, you two, really, didn't you? Well, yeah, I mean, I th he was the first bloke I met. I mean, I was stood by the uh, clock waiting to be assigned. I hadn't clocked him because I was a newcomer. And uh, I was waiting to be... Uh, assigned to a job and um, Bob came in, he was late, um, walked past me, said hello cock, how are you, walked past me, so he was the first bloke that spoke to me and then I got assigned to a job um, and uh, it was just strange how we, we, it was just like we were drawn together, you know, once again, you know, I think that um, things are meant to be, it's just one of those things, I mean, if you say, well, what drew you to Bob, I don't think anything in particular, he just came up to me one day or I went to him and said, look, you know, Friday night, what we do? We're going out having a pint, and that was it. It was born. Well, off we went. Was he oh, mad yeah. in those days? Was he very energetic, and did he jump around a lot? Or? Uh, no, I mean... <laughs> I were only eight stone six, I mean, <laughs> were you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, no. I mean, he wasn't. I mean, he was... Uh, you know, I term as a normal bloke. Um, but, you know, small. I'd never seen anybody crawl under a door without <laughs> it opening before, but apart from that... He taught you to play drums, didn't he? Uh -huh. well, well, he did. He, yeah, he did. He said, he said, I'll tell you what, dude, get some drums, he said, and I'll teach you to drum. So I got the drums, which came as a bit of a shock to him. And then he said, I've got another surprise for you. I can't drum. So, you know. Um, all, I could, all I could do that. 
But it, it was enough. It was enough. enough. It was enough to do for the art, yeah, in them days. We're playing some music in this show that's right. associated with your lives, and right. and uh, the American rock and roll star Freddie Cannon. Mm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> inspired the name a bit, didn't yes, he? Yes, it did actually. Yeah, well, and he's actually on tour soon. He's yes, coming he is. over here on tour. So well, that's where Tommy took his name. I took my name from him, and I'm hoping that I can write him a letter and just tell him I loved him that much that I took my name from Freddie Cannon. Yeah. Are you free, Mr. Humphrey? I'm free, but not until I finish listening to John Hannam Meets. You two had a few funny names to start with, didn't you? Bobby and Stevie Rhythm and uh-huh. the, the yeah. Shoral Brothers, the Harper Brothers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we had all them names. We needed to have the Aqua Bad, we had to keep changing it, John. <laughs> the reason we did Cannonball, and then the, uh, the reason, we, because we, we went to comedy, and uh, our proper names are Dervish and Harper. So that wouldn't look good on a bill, really. <laughs> it wouldn't get on the bill, it'd be too big. They wouldn't get anybody else on. So uh, we started doing comedy and said, oh, we need another name. Uh, and as the actor progressed, it just, there were nobody said, oh, you be the comic Bob and you be the, the straight man, Tom. It just didn't work that way, it just happened. So we said, oh, he said, well, we need a strong name for me. Uh, I like Freddie Cannon, so what about Tommy Cannon? I said, that's a great name. I said, what about me? He said, what about Ball? And I said, I'm not being called Ball. Because I was too much of an ego. I said, listen to this. I said, Call, uh, Cannon and Short. Cannon and... Everything we did. Oh, everything. Bar this Ball name. Yeah. I won't have it. Anyway, I gave in. And we had Ball and that's how it happened, really. Lovely story about a blind organ player. Oh. <laughs> Come um, on, Tommy, yeah, you tell I mean, me that. Well, yeah, I mean... Uh, I mean, it was in South Wales, and I mean, it was uh, the biggest problem. We got there, went into the dressing room, and the organist came in, bless him, and, um, you know, shook hands with us, and he sort of, you know, he's held in his hand out, it's not coming towards us, and suddenly Bob and I realised he were blind. We both looked at one another in absolute panic, because we've got this music for him to follow, and he's blind, so we think, well, because, you know, it's not in Braille, how's, how's he going to do it? So, well, he takes the music, off he goes, and me and him were waiting in the dressing room to go on, thinking, oh, this is going to be an absolute disaster. So we go on stage, and he, the guy introduces, on we go, and um, his missus is sat underneath the organ, and she's shouting the notes to him from below. He's got a curtain round the organ so the people can't see her. And she's leaned up like this, saying, A flat, B flat, C. And she's she's telling him the notes, but of course, by the time she's telling them, the audience is behind us singing, so it's a right mess. I mean, to do that really, you think it's quite marvellous, really. Yeah. You know, it didn't work for us. Yeah. Did you get paid off once or twice? Oh, <laughs> three times, us. three or four times. <laughs> went to, went into a place called um, Glass Houghton, and he put his foot right in it, and went to the club in Glass Houghton. Walked on Sunday dinner time. They're all guys, and on the tables are all these vegetables on all the tables, and. Uh, of course, they're not interested in us. And Tommy walked up. We walked on. His first words he said was, "Oh, I see you've just come off your allotments. <laughs> you must take more of them vegetables you do your wives." So they closed the curtains on us, and the people come in and said, "Oh, you'll have to go. Uh, you shouldn't have said that." So why is no? He said, "Because today is prize giving day for the best vegetables." Oh, he said, "And they do love the vegetables more than the wives. So get out." And we, as we're walking out, they booed us out. <laughs> they booed us out at club bar. <laughs> <laughs> you've done everything. You had a. Bit of a dodgy agent in London too, didn't you? Oh, I we had him as well. Yeah, yeah. We first got to, when we first went professional, back to our jobs and with families and everything. And all the lads in the factory, you know, oh, we're going professional. And he didn't uh, get us any work. 
He, he actually, to be honest with you, he actually wasn't dodgy. What he didn't have was any work. <laughs> what he told us was that he got this and this and this and you've got to come to London and come to the office in London and sign the contract. So, of course, we're thinking, whoa, this is it. London, a big agent in London loves us and he wants us to do it. So, of course, we, we pack our jobs in and everything and we've got two weeks work in six months. I mean, so that was the biggest problem. I think his art was in the right place, but he just he just hadn't got any work. <laughs> you failed up Knox too, didn't you? Big well, time, yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah, I think how how was, distressed was, were you when you failed? Oh, home? a rat won it on its way back to the canteen with a couple of spoons. <laughs> oh, it was disaster, <laughs> absolute yeah. disaster. Come last, and it, I think and we, it, had a, we had a booking in Wales and they cancelled it. Yeah, the, we only had one booking in Wales and that got cancelled. I think when we did the audition first. We were singing, we wouldn't do any comedy. When we got to the audition, it took that long for the audition to come through. When we got there, you agreed, we go out there and we start, and we did the golf routine. That's right. And uh, we walked out there and he said, right, you know, do the rehearsal. And he's expecting us to sing. And we didn't sing, we did this golf routine, this comedy golf routine. And he come on the floor, he said, excuse me, boys. He said, but, you know, what are you doing? He said, I auditioned you, <coughs> you were singers. So I said, well, We've changed. We've changed, like, you know, we're, we're, he said, you sure you want to do this? <laughs> so I said, yes. And, of course, we went on doing this golf routine and it just disappeared down a big hole. I mean, it was dire. Mine, it didn't help with him chatting your wife up, did it? No, no, you actually chatting. You were chatting. <laughs> you tell him about it, said, leave her alone. Hey, that didn't help us. No, that didn't help us. No, that's for sure. He was chatting my wife up. I. Yeah. Talking about you were comics and not singers, I, know, I want to take you back to the Batley Variety Club, yeah. which was the big club, wasn't it, in oh, those yeah, days? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I think it was, And yeah. you turned up to sort of back Frankie Vaughan. And yeah, well, a, a guy yeah. booked us in. He said, oh, we were comics, and we weren't comics at the time. What we, we used to sing and tell just maybe one little joke and then a song. And the, on top of the bill was Frankie, who was a great singer. But what happens in showbiz, in the clubs, you had a, if a singer was top of the bill, they put a comic on and a special act. If it was a comic that was top of the bill, they put a special act singer, then the top of the bill, the comic. So Frankie was top of the bill. So we went on, and were that bad. It was comedy, really. Tom used to go forward singing, This land is mine. And I'd be in the back on my own going, Papa, 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 Papa. No armour, it's just me on my own. Pathetic. So the guy coming after, he said, listen, he said, uh, I bought you as comics, but you're not comics. He said, well, the way I heard that song, he said, you could be comics. <laughs> he, said, he says, you're not comics. He said, so I'm not going to sack you. He said, but I'm going to um, get another comic in and put you on first. So he said, OK, of course, he was fuming. I went crackers, me. And he said, right, that's it, Bob. We've got to make our minds up. Tomorrow, he said, after this gig, wherever we go now, we take two pieces of music, one to open, one to close, and the rest has got to be comedy. And that's how we actually became comics. Comedy. Just as well you did. Yeah. That's how we did it. Yeah, because you, we couldn't have carried on like that much longer anyway, because that would have happened again somewhere. So we had to make that decision that Maybe. week and say, hey, that's it, forget it. We do comedy now and we just do a couple of songs. And the strange thing is now, after all these years of doing comedy, people say, oh, why don't you sing another song? It's weird. Okay, let's meet the families. Oh, sorry, wrong show. I'm Les Dennis, but you're listening to John Hannah Meets. Television was a little way off, but when you first started, you were going to do a, a spot on Bruce Forsyth's show, weren't you? Yeah, on the... Uh, well, you did the spot, but... Well, we did it. We actually did six six-minute spots for the Bruce Forsyth Big Night Out, and it was really, really hard work because we were in Yarmouth at the time, and we had to catch... A six o'clock train every morning 
to go up for rehearsals and catch the train back the same night to get down in time for the 610 show. And we did that for like six weeks because we'd done six slots on the show. Well, when it were all done and finished, everybody was happy. Everybody said it were great. And um, what happened was that um, each week, because the show was two hours and there was so much on it, people weren't seeing Bruce Forsyth because he had to get through that many people that was on the show. So each week they said to Bruce, look, you're going to have to do a little bit more. We're getting complaints that people aren't seeing enough of you. And so they kept taking slots out. And unfortunately, it was ours they kept taking out and nobody else's. So each week went along, Cannon and Ball weren't on again. I'd get phone calls from David Bell, who's now dead, God bless him, saying, look, I'm sorry, boys, but they've pulled the slot again and they've pulled it. And each week it went on like that. Paper, we it? got in paper and they started calling us. Uh, oh no, that was later on, wasn't it? When it got cannon, worst cannonball. Worst cannon. I mean, we got so much publicity out of it; it was just incredible. And then Michael Grade, who was head of LWT then, he happened to see a clip of Bob and I doing the uh, my prayer routine, the conduct in the orchestra, and he loved it. And he just turned around. And he said, "Give the boys their own series." And that's when it began. Which was Cannon and Blank Screen, because there were well, there was some... Cannon and Blackout. Yeah, Blackout. Now, well, that was, we'd done our first series, so you imagine all the trouble we'd had with the Bruce Forsyth spots, which never got shown, and then we got to do our own series. We do our own series, and there's a strike just a week before Bob and I are due to be shown. And each week went along again. Strike, no, you're not being shown. No, you're not being shown. So the papers kept, couldn't believe it, so they kept calling us Cannon and Blackout. Yeah. <laughs> Heidi, hi! Hello, listeners. You are listening to John Hannam Meets. I'm with Cannon and Ball. It's always a pleasure to meet you two. Um, you too, John. So, your own TV series, you were off then, yeah. weren't you? Yeah. yeah. I want to talk now about other parts of the book when sure. I know you two, you fell out big time, really, didn't oh, you? Oh, sure, yeah. And, and the book is so fascinating because you openly admit it and, and you sort of didn't talk for a long time and you had separate hotels, separate... Three or four years it was, yeah. 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 Looking back on that, how do you feel now, really? Regretted it, really. Uh, it, it was a silly thing that happened. Both regretted it. But we're lads from the shop floor who didn't... It were, we were making a good living, Tom and I, in clubs. A fantastic living. And it just... Television happened. And for some reason, it, it took off. And when it took off, our egos kicked in. And with each one of us thought we were best in the act. And there were people around us also that kept chipping in, saying to Tommy, oh, you could do better singing, and you go on your own, Bobby, and, and, and all this happened. And we just started to lead separate lives, totally separate lives. I mean, it's a crazy thing to think that people who were around you, this <clears> double act was so successful, yeah. but yet they were chipping away at it. You've got to say to yourself, why? Because this, this double act was enormous. Couldn't have been any bigger. Exactly. And there's someone trying to come in between it, saying, you do this and you do that. What for? Because together, you see, nobody can touch us. What for? Separate, we're weak. Separate, conquer. Separators, divide and conquer. And that's what they were trying to do. And when you two were away from each other all day and you weren't speaking, mm. sort of grumpy to each other, I suppose, sure. all of a sudden, nine Different o'clock at night, you, you... We come together, but the minute we hit that stage... It was fine. It was fine. For the hour. For the hour. And when it was over, we went separate ways. The strange thing is, when I, what nobody realises with a, a straight man, there's very few brilliant straight men. And in a double act, they're the main part of the act. I'm not saying that because he's here, but they are. Because hmm. a comic, in a double act, the straight man is the anchor. 
He's the one who lets the comic... He controls the act in, in actual fact. A great double act with Dean Martin, because he never looked like he was feeding. He never looked like a straight man. Tommy doesn't look like a straight man. Looks like his his act, and, and that's it. So when we're on, he was great for me. And for that one hour, we just got on. But off stage, we didn't. Strange thing. Not the first double act to be like that. Oh, I mean, no. I can remember interviewing Mike and Bernie Winters. Sure, sure. Their last, very sure. last show sure. was on the Isle of Wight. They did a summer season oh, yeah. and, you know, they, they weren't together. No. Interviews in separate sure. rooms. Sure. And it's happened before, hasn't it? I don't, I don't know why we stayed together. I don't know why. Because we didn't need the money. This is why you did, really, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, sure. And we've come through all that, you see. Was it you discovering religion, if you like? Was that No. It, no? It, it was... Yes, I, I, I discovered God and my life changed. And I went to Tom and told him I'd become a Christian. So I looked at things in a different perspective. I didn't look at Tom thinking, oh, da-da-da. I looked at Tom in a different way. So I, I didn't think I were, but I was obviously a different type of character. So I, I lost a lot of aggression in me when I found God and a lot of ego when I found God. So I changed. And then seven years later, Tommy became a Christian. So that's what happened. It just brought us both together, like, very strong, you know. We're stronger now than we were for years. Round about 85, I think, wasn't it, when you sort of... 85 for me, yeah. Mm. Also, Tommy, you had problems, money problems, not of your doing, but no. all of a sudden you were thousands of pounds adrift, weren't you? Well, How money you... problems that really um, we didn't know anything about. You know what I'm saying? We didn't know anything about it. We, um, You're we doing a good job, then. You're doing a good job, Bobby, looking after us. Yeah, taking coffee. Some coffee good. Well, you found your vacation at last. <laughs> um, and I think what happened was that suddenly someone... We, what we did was we changed accountants. That's as simple as, this, as the story is. Uh, we said, look, we, we've got an accountant up our end of the world. Manchester's are way off now. We have to keep coming into the city centre. We're going to change accountants. All right, well, if that's what you want to do, blah, blah, blah. So we change accountants. The new accountant says, do you know you've got a problem? I said, Sorry. He said, you know, you've got a problem. I said, no, what do you mean? He said, the Inland Revenue are after you. I said, what for? He said, apparently, I've just been speaking to him down in, down in Oldham, and apparently you are in big, big trouble. I said, well, we can't be. So we've had people around us looking after our affairs for us. We've been paying them 25% of our earnings to look after everything that's been going on. Well, I'm sorry, he said, but I said, I can't take your account on unless all this is sorted out. So the bomb dropped, bang. Suddenly we're to the tune of something like about 700 grand in, in trouble that we hadn't paid tax. Not knowingly we hadn't paid the tax. We thought everything were being looked after and being, you know, because that's what you have business people mm. around you for. Mm. You delegate people to do certain jobs, but obviously they weren't being done. How did you two cope with that? Because... Oh, this murder for me, I'll tell you. I'm a Christian man and when the man came to my home... And he said, I'm sorry, but you, it's this amount of money that you owe the taxmen. And I have to tell you, I came out with the most awful abuse I'd ever come out with in my life. And I was streaming tears. I was that angry. I wanted to hit somebody. And I went out the house and I walked around my farm on my own. And Hazel, my wife, the guy was coming out to follow me. And Hazel said, leave him alone. He's got to think this out for himself. And I was out for about 20 minutes. Then I came back in and I thought, right, okay. How do we deal with it? But I had to just get that bit out of my mind, you know, that bit. In the end, it cost you about 250000 didn't it? 250, yeah. They were very good with tax, actually. We were guilty, Tom and I, but we're guilty naivety. 
Mm. That's what we're doing. You're not the first guys in showbiz to, sure. to be ripped off, I really. Mean, we just got millions of we, we, we didn't even sign checks, Tom and I. We just got our wages every week. So we're guilty of naivety. Yeah. I mean, That's if you said to me now, John, look, me a check out. Say, I don't know how to make a check out even now, me. I don't have a checkbook on me. Never carry a checkbook with me. Can't do it. Never have been able to do it. do it. Can you loan me a fiver, Bob, or not? Yeah. Oh, can you? Oh, good. I'll have to have a few copper. Do you want to check? I can't I want to talk about happier times just before... I know you're going on stage in a minute, but one of the greatest moments in your life, you won a Laurel and Hardy award, didn't you? <laughs> yes? Is that right? Oh, yeah, tell him. Go oh, on, then. No, I wound up. Um, Tarbot did it. Um, yeah, I know. He... he um, <laughs> This voice, because I'd always gone on about Lola Nardi, how much I loved him. Because it's, it's strange, John. As a kid, I used to love double acts. And I ended up in a double act. But I used to love Lola Nardi, but Abbott and Lucas Tell. I loved Martin and Lewis. I loved all double acts, you see. I loved um, the other double act before Morecambe and Wise. I used to like them. Julian Morris. Julian Morris. I liked them. And I liked Eric and Ernie. So um, I'd obviously been ranting somewhere, maybe to golf tournaments about Lola Nardi, or oh, they're great, they this, that. And suddenly I got this phone call with this voice on the other end. Uh, could I speak to Tommy, please? And it's this American accent going, I thought, oh, the heck's this? Um, this is the Lola Nardi Appreciation Society from uh, America. I wonder whether uh, uh, I could uh, say to you that you've won the Lola Nardi Appreciation Society Award. <laughs> And I nearly dropped the phone. I went, wow, I said, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. It's fantastic. So I'm on the phone, jarring away. Uh, and uh, do you really like, oh, I love them. I idolise them. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, and where will you keep the trophy? Is there a special place you'd like to put the trophy? Oh, I, I said, well, a pride and place in my home. It'll be right over my snooker table because I play <laughs> snooker when I'm home. And I said, that's where it'll be. I'll always be able to look at it and everything. He said, hey, I said, I'm really glad about that. This is Jimmy Tarbuck. <laughs> <laughs> did you get your own back? You did, oh, I bet. Not yet. I, I, not yet. You've never done it yet. You I, will I, do. Another one, I'm in Slough in a, in a hotel. Yeah. And it's four o'clock in the morning. And um, the phone went in the bedroom and I picked the phone up. And the receptionist said, I've got a call for you, Mr. Ball. So I said, oh, it's four o'clock in the morning. So I said, hello. Who is it at this time in the morning? So I said, oh, sorry to wake you I said, oh, uh, yes, what is it? He said, well, I'm over from the States and I've just uh, seen your film, Boys in Blue. He said, uh, we think it's absolutely marvellous and we'd like to do a, a sequel to Boys in Blue only in Los Angeles. I said, oh, really? Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, what great news. Oh, lovely. He said, uh, could we meet? I said, well, sure. I said, uh, I'll meet you tomorrow, uh, wherever you want. I'll come up to London to meet you. Well, he said, uh, I'm in the foyers. I've got to fly her back in the, in the morning. Is there any chance of meeting you now? I said, oh, no problems. No, just give me 10 minutes. So I jumped out of bed, oh, got dressed, put my shirt on, everything, oh, got tired, walked down. When I went round to the foyer, there was Les Dawson, there's Hugh Francis on the knees. How you doing, Bobby? <laughs> what a wind up. It's really great always talking to you, because you're always honest and you're always fun. Mm, and, uh, you've changed a lot over the years. You I, 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 I've mellowed a bit, John, <laughs> you I think. I think that's what you're, the word you're looking for. I was for. scared of you many years ago, <laughs> but I've changed now. <laughs> He's mellowed. Yes. I've mellowed a bit, John, now. <laughs> who is it? Who's who? Him. Who? John Ammon. John Ammon. Ammon. John Ammon. John Ammon. John Ammon. I never mind that. Hey, rock on, Johnny. Hey, see you soon, Johnny, baby. John Ammon meets on Isle of Wight Radio. The boys very kindly recorded that jingle for me 
on the last occasion I ever met them both together, which was today's interview, which was recorded in 2000 at the Norton Grange Holiday Centre on the Isle of Wight. Today we've celebrated the life of a great one-off comedian, Bobby Ball, who will be missed by millions. Bobby, it was a real pleasure just to know you.